Welcome to Agriculture In-Depth, presented by Kimball Livestock Exchange and by Sioux Nation in Fort Pier. I'm DRG Media Group News and Farm Director Jody Heemstra. My guest today is Brian Fuchs. He's a climatologist and faculty member at the National Drought Mitigation Center at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. We'll hear from him after this. Cattlemen, when you're looking to buy and sell cattle, look no further than Kimball Livestock Exchange in Kimball, South Dakota. At Kimball Livestock Exchange, you'll find cattlemen working for cattlemen with a sale every Tuesday. If you can't make it to the barn, you can watch the sale live on Cattle USA. Visit KimballLivestockExchange.com to view upcoming sale information. For more sale information or to consign, call the barn at 605-778-6211, Chad at 605-870-0697, or Wade at 605-730-1801. Fuchs first shares some background history about the U.S. Drought Monitor. Back in the late 1990s, uh, a couple colleagues that uh, were were working on the topic of drought, they were uh, looking for a, a better way of showing a weekly analysis or or composite of of what drought looks like for the country. And up to that time, we had basically been using individual drought indices or individual drought indicators. But the idea was that some of these uh, work really good in some areas, some of them not as good in areas, Uh, some of them have seasonal components. So the idea was, why don't we take the best attributes of all the different types of data available to us, put it together in this hybrid form, and having a single map that users can go to that here is your weekly drought depiction for the entire country. So that's how the idea of the drought monitor came about was uh, we're looking at uh, dozens of data sets now and taking the best attributes. And basically what drought is looking at is, you know, lack of moisture in the soils and the atmosphere and wells, rivers and streams, uh, groundwater, basically the water cycle. And we're looking at where those deficits are taking place and using all the different tools and information that's available to us. That's what we're looking at each week when the drought monitor gets put together. Well, there's various uh, colors you know, indicating various levels of drought on the map. Can you walk us through the different colors on the key and kind of what each of those categories kind of, not kind of, what each of those categories means as far as, you know, the range of drought conditions that uh, they indicate? On the map, you'll see uh, uh, all the different colors as well as the white. So basically, we'll start with the white areas and that that's where conditions are normal or they're going to be on the wetter side. And basically, we're, we're saying that there's nothing really to uh, uh, worry about in those areas as far as drought or drought development at the current time. Then we get into the yellow area, and that's what we call abnormally dry. It's not considered drought on the map. It's basically used as a as a warning area. So we're actually looking at areas that are starting to dry out, starting to show some uh, uh, issues with dryness or drought development, or it's also used in areas where drought has been Uh, taking place, but now we're seeing some improvement, but maybe there's still some lingering issues going on. So uh, we've actually seen that in parts of uh, uh, the Northern Plains here this spring where, uh, you know, after a wet winter, some of those areas have started to improve, but still have some issues. So we we use that that abnormally dry or, or that yellow color on the map of D0. Then the next four are the the four drought intensity levels that we show. So those are classified from D1 through D4, and we'll start with moderate drought. 
And so when we get to moderate drought, that's basically saying that, hey, we, we are acknowledging that uh, uh, drought has started to develop in the region. We've, we've gotten past that abnormally dry stage, and we're starting to, to see some issues uh, on the map. Basically, when we start talking about abnormally dry conditions, we're seeing those about every uh, uh, you know, 15, 20 years, uh, you statistically would see moderate drought on the map. Uh, the next intensity is a D2 or severe drought. And that's basically saying that we're, we're having more of these uh, data sets, more of these indices and indicators are showing a drought signal, and we start seeing more impacts. And so basically, uh, we're, we're saying that the drought is intensifying. Uh, a drought like this is, is showing up about every 10 years or so as, as far as the return period. Uh, and then we get into uh, D3 or extreme drought. When we start getting into D3 and D4, the extreme and exceptional drought, the, these are the, the types of droughts that, uh, you know, last in your memory. There, there's a lot of impacts that we're seeing not only to agriculture, but maybe water supply, uh, et cetera, in the region. But we also, the, the types of uh, indicators and indices that we're looking at to identify these types of drought, we basically are saying that in, in the D3 area, we've only seen these types of conditions maybe three to five times over the last 100 years in a region. And even when we get to exceptional drought at D4, maybe you've only seen these conditions once or twice ever in an area, or this could be the driest, uh, most significant drought that the area has seen when you start seeing that exceptional drought drought uh, come up on the map. So basically, when you're seeing D3 or D4 with that extreme and exceptional drought, these, these are uh, approaching the drought of record for a region or even a, a generational type of drought that we just don't see uh, these types of uh, uh, indices reach these uh, levels of dryness or the types of impacts that we're seeing. Uh, when you start seeing D3 and D4 on the map, you're, you're starting to see crop failure for row crops. You know, maybe grazing lands for those uh, livestock producers are completely decimated. They're feeding cattle. Maybe those uh, those dugouts and, and, and stock ponds are completely dry. Haven't ever seen things like that before. And so you can go down the list of all the types of anticipated impacts. And what's, what's unique about drought is it's seems like every issue uh, that we have seen, uh, all of a sudden something new comes up. So uh, no two droughts behave the exact same way. So we, we do go on, on the guidance of the data. It is a data-driven product. And so what that allows us to do is look at the current data and see where that current data would rank in the historical record of, of the different data sets that we look at. And, and uh, that's really, uh, in, in essence, what we do with the, the making of the map each week. The other thing that, that's really important to note, too, is it's not a computer making the map. We don't take all these data and plug them into a program and it spits out a map. Uh, we make this map manually each, manually each week. In fact, we have uh, several hundred folks around the country that come together and provide local guidance on what's going on in their state or their region, and they supply uh, uh, information on, on data that they've looked at, as well as any issues that they've uh, heard about in their area. And then the lead author for the U.S. Drought Monitor that week, they compile all that information. They'll start moving those those. Uh, uh, intensity uh, level lines 
And that's how the new map is made each week. You mentioned a collaboration of folks providing some of the data that that you work with to put together the map individually by hand each week. Who are some of the folks that are submitting data? Is it state climatologists? Is it extension offices? Is it regular producers? Who all is helping to supply this data? With that, I'm going to basically say it's all of the above. So in in South Dakota, for example, there there was an organizing effort set, set up by the state climate office, and Laura Edwards was the state climatologist. And what Laura did is she organized uh, folks within Extension and the Weather Service around the state that are regularly looking at these conditions across all of South Dakota. And they kind of get together each week and they talk about what they're seeing and all the different parts of the state. They, they go through data that's specific to South Dakota. And then what they do is they come up with recommendations and they will send those recommendations to the weekly author and say, hey, this is what we're thinking for South Dakota. These are the changes that we have identified. Here are the data that we looked at to support these changes. And oh, by the way, we've also talked to these producers in in all these different areas, and these are the reports that they've uh, compiled and, and sent back to us. And so, you know, that's what, that's how it works in South Dakota. Many other states follow a similar type of process. But what that does is it, it allows the, the lead author, which I am one of the lead authors for the drought monitor, it allows me in those instances to see what's going on in South Dakota quite quickly. Uh, you know, we've built a rapport with uh, the folks at, in the state climate office. I've known Laura for years. She she actually herself used to be a U.S. drought monitor author. And and so I can go through and have that commentary back and forth with those folks quite quickly. We can cover a lot of area, look at a lot of information in a short period of time. And then I can feel confident in looking at the data that I'm looking at to make those appropriate changes each week on the map. So it is a, a pretty uh, fast and furious type of system, but a lot of information, a lot of data sharing, a lot of ideas go back and forth. And it, and what we also do with the drought monitor each week is there are several drafts of the map that go out. And there's a, an email list server of, again, four to 500 people that are weekly contributors to the making of the map. And the, these are folks coming from official capacities, such as state climate offices and National Weather Service offices, et cetera. But they look at these drafts and they critique it. So basically, you have a peer review process that goes on uh, three, four, maybe even five different drafts of the map before it gets finalized late Wednesday afternoon and gets published every Thursday morning. So uh, it is quite a process with a lot of people involved, and it's a lot of collaboration that takes place because everyone wants the map to be the best map that it can be and the most representative that it can be for every area of the country. And speaking of that, uh, is there an an opportunity for members of the general public, our producers, our farmers, our ranchers, for folks to s- submit their photos or conditions that they're seeing there at, at their individual places. Is that a possibility? Yeah, we do. Over time, probably in the mid-2000s, we, we started this idea that, you know, there are a lot of people who are, are, are paying attention. They're looking at these, these what we call impacts and and uh, we should be capturing that. So back in the mid-2000s, we started an archiving system where uh, we, we started grabbing this information and archiving it because we know, you know, 10 years from now, what would be... Uh, uh, our memory of that last drought that took place. So we, we wanted a way to capture it. And then we had the idea that, you know, 
there are individuals out there, producers, water managers, etc., that uh, also pay quite close attention to these types of drought impacts, and it would be great to hear from them. And so we do have a system set up online that anyone can go through anyone in the general public, they can submit what they're seeing in their area, their backyard, their farm, their ranch. They can submit pictures. They can submit as as much or as little as they want to share. And they can do this as often as they'd like. Now, what happens is we typically only hear from folks when when conditions are bad and they want to share their experience that they're going through currently. But realistically, when we start looking at some of these condition reports or impact reports, it's good to have information for the entire year, Uh, meaning that, hey, what does this uh, hay field look like when conditions are good or conditions are wet, not only when it's dry, because a lot of times I'll get a picture and say, you know, look how dry it is here. And you know, I, I haven't been to all parts of the country, so it is hard to tell by a picture. Is this what it typically looks like in July? Is it typically green yet in July? Is, you know, we, we sometimes have a hard time putting a context on that. So we encourage folks to report regularly all throughout both good and bad times. So we, we can start establishing a baseline. But again, there, there are systems online and, and you can get to those off of the U.S. Drought Monitor website. And what we have an acronym, it's CMOR, or what we call CMOR. And folks can go in and, and they can utilize that CMOR reporting system. Not only are they able to share this information, which in turn will go across the U.S. Drought Monitor author's desk, but then again, it gets archived too. So like I said, you know, five or 10 years from now, we can go back and look at these drought events and, you know, hey, what were the problems that we were experiencing? How dry really was it when we started seeing these problems? It can help us plan for that next drought too, to get a better idea of, you know, what what issues are we going to be experiencing and how can we better prepare for them? Safety in your cattle operation is imperative to not only you, but your cattle as well. From front to back, from tube to chute, AeroQuip cattle chutes go through extensive testing to ensure reliability and safety. With an extremely user-friendly design, you're in for a smooth operation every time. AeroQuip cattle chutes are the safe equipment you can trust every step of the way. That's one benefit, but not all. For more information, see Sioux Nation in Fort Pierce, South Dakota. Myself, and I'm, I'm guessing others, typically think of the drought monitor in the summer. You know, the, the heat, the rain, that sort of thing makes the drought monitor come to mind. But is this something that's being updated and collecting data all year round? It is, yeah. The Since uh the late 1990s, the U.S. Drought Monitor map has come out every single week. We've never missed a week. Uh, holidays, uh, government shutdown, whatnot, we've always had a map come out. So uh, it's something that even in the wintertime, you know, think about the winter we had in, in South Dakota this year with all of the snow and and uh, basically, you know, froze up the state for months at a time. Uh, you know, that does play into what we start looking at as far as, you know, what's going to happen with this moisture once spring comes. And we we did start making adjustments in the state even before that spring thaw took place. And so it is something that folks across the state are uh, constantly looking at. And again, across the country, even 
even in uh, the more northern latitudes in the wintertime, we do know that there can be, you know, drought can develop even in those times. We saw that a couple winters ago where we didn't hardly see any snow and, and we were able to, to, to really be in tune with that dryness, especially when the spring and summer months started to hit and we, we knew that conditions were going to be bad to begin with. Obviously, there's a lot of data collection that goes into the U.S. Drought Monitor. And as you said, it's been active for several decades now. If someone wants to find the U.S. Drought Monitor and go to the the website, uh, what's the website? You know, what sort of historical data are they going to be able to find when they get there? The main page and the official page for the U.S. Drought Monitor is at droughtmonitor.unl.edu, and that will take you to the, the home page. And from that page, basically everything that's ever been done with the Drought Monitor is available. So we have archived maps going all the way back to 2000. We have all of the uh, statistical uh, data going back to 2000. We have different state, regional, basin type maps uh, available that uh, outside of just maybe the, st- the, the national, regional, or state map that people are maybe most familiar with or that they see in their newspaper or on TV, you can actually get down to county level data that, you know, if you're in a particular county and you want to look at all the information for your county going back for the last 23 plus years, all of that information is there. And for technical users, there's, there's uh, data that uh, um, is in the GIS realm that if they want to bring data into their own GIS, that they have the ability to do that. And also each week there's a text summary that comes out with the map. And so all those text summaries, basically the the weekly author will go through and, and write a summary of all the different changes that they made, why they made them, the data they were looking at, maybe even some of the impacts they were looking at. And so all those are also archived going all the way back to the uh, uh, to 2000 as well. And so there, there is a plethora of data. We have data that's specific to tribal areas, which I know is important in South Dakota. We even have uh, all of our products in Spanish as well. We know we have a, a larger Spanish-speaking contingent, and you can get to an entire uh, uh, Spanish version of the website, the maps and the data as well, right off of uh, uh, the homepage. And in a state like South Dakota, where we know agriculture and, and uh, farming and ranching is, is uh, quite important, there's an actual tab on the homepage of the U.S. Drought Monitor that says Ag and Drought, where those stakeholders can go in and find a lot of agricultural-specific products, many of which that we've uh, compiled within our with our partnership with USDA and, and have those right there and available off of the main page of the U.S. Drought Monitor. So... Uh, Again, there's a lot of information out there. There's a lot of maps. There's a lot of data. And every given every week when the new map comes out, we add about 20,000 new maps. So that just tells you the, the amount of data that is out there. And if there's something out there that folks want to see that they are not coming across or they would like to see in a given week, you know, they can reach out to me. And, and I work with our team here to put new products and new uh, information out on our website. So we are me- meeting the needs of all of our stakeholders regardless of what uh, part of the country they're in or regardless of what uh, uh, use they have for the U.S. Drought Monitor. I think it is important for folks to know that even as good as the data that we do have in the United States, and we do have a lot of data. I mentioned earlier that we look at several dozen different data sets, and many of those have multiple timescales from the last day to the last week going out to maybe the last couple years. 
that even with all the data that we do have, there are areas of the country that uh, maybe the, the density of the, the stations that we have on the ground isn't as great as others. But then again, we can supplement that with some satellite data or radar data. And so we, we do use multiple types of data, not just data that's on the ground or collected on the ground. But in the last decade, we've really brought in a lot more satellite data and satellite tools at high resolution. They can get down to that county and sub-county level and really give us a good picture of what's going on. And so the biggest message in all that is the drought monitor continues to evolve. As new data and new tools become available to us, we're getting better at getting down to that finer scale. And if you do look at the maps from you know way back in 2000 and compare them to today, you can see that level of detail has changed and it continues to change. And that's what we're striving for. We're not happy with the map being status quo. We always are working with our our partners and stakeholders to do better, get better data, higher resolution. So we're covering all areas equally. And and that's what we really strive to do. With Agriculture In-Depth presented by Sioux Nation in Fort Pier and by Kimball Livestock Exchange, I'm DRG Media Group News and Farm Director Jody Heemstra.